That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, listeners. This is Alora Nanos, host of the Vax On segment here at Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary on Offscript Health. I'm also a lawyer, and I'd like to take a few minutes to talk with you about what just happened when the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade. Before we get to the Dobbs case, I'd like to give you a little primer on abortion law history. In 1973, in the case Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruled that the right to an abortion is a fundamental right grounded in privacy and found within what they called the penumbra of the rights created by the First Amendment of the Constitution. By the way, penumbra is lawyer speak for umbrella, and what it basically means is that even though it doesn't say anything about privacy in the First Amendment, they decided that you're guaranteed a whole bunch of things under that amendment. It was a huge deal for the court to say that abortion was a fundamental right, because that meant that any state laws that mess with it can only stand if they pass what is known as strict scrutiny. That is super hard to meet. Almost no laws pass strict scrutiny. By the way, none of this happened in a vacuum. Ten years before Roe, Griswold versus Connecticut said that the government can't stop married people from using contraception. Also, because of that right to privacy. A few years after Griswold, another case said that single people get that right too. So in many ways, Roe was a kind of natural next step. While we're discussing Roe, I'd also like to point out that the ruling there did not say something like, my body, my choice, or that women are entitled to unfettered freedom when it comes to reproductive rights. It didn't do anything nearly that sweeping. Rather, Roe provided a framework for applying strict scrutiny to abortion laws. Inherent in the application was Roe's recognition that when we're talking about the termination of a pregnancy, there's more to consider than just a pregnant woman's right to choose. Sidebar. You may or may not agree with that premise, but regardless on where you stand, the court considered a society's interest in protecting the unborn when it decided Roe versus Wade. Anyway, in Roe, the court came up with a sort of sliding scale situation, which said that during the first trimester, states need to be very hands-off about the way they make laws that affect abortion. In the third trimester, states can regulate the shit out of abortion, and they can even ban them if that's what they want to do. In the second trimester, the states can regulate abortion, but they can't outright ban it. So you see, it was a sort of compromise in that case. 19 years later in 1992, the Supreme Court decided that they were going to upend the entire system created in Roe. There was another case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And in that case, the court said that the right to an abortion is actually a liberty right, not a privacy interest. The court also changed that whole trimester framework to one about viability in which states could not permissibly place an undue burden on women's right to have an abortion. The opinion in Casey was an absolute mess. None of the justices could agree on anything. And that's why for years afterwards, everyone from regular people to legal scholars disagreed about everything, including what the law about abortion even was. Anyway, the Casey framework, messy as it is, is what we've been dealing with since the time of Pearl Jim and Nirvana. From then, right up until last week, 
States would make laws purporting to regulate abortion, and courts would be in the business of deciding whether those regulations were legit and could stand, or whether they were too strict and placed too much of an undue burden and then got struck down. So what happened in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization? Well, it wiped away Roe and Casey as if those cases had never even happened. Most importantly, the Dobbs decision allows state legislatures to enact almost whatever abortion laws they want and to test that legislation only at the lowest of constitutional standards. This means that since abortion isn't any longer a fundamental right, almost all state laws related to abortion will get to stay on the books. What did the Dobbs opinion not do? It did not outlaw abortion on a federal level. This may actually be news to some folks out there who are on a crusade to end abortion and have been celebrating since the opinion was leaked in May. While it's clear that many of the justices are indeed hostile to the idea of abortion, the ruling itself in Dobbs takes no position on which, if any, abortions should be legal. All it does is return the entire topic of abortion to state control. That state control, though, is totally unrestricted. No longer is there any kind of floor for how little reproductive freedom states are allowed to give. Justice Sam Alito, who authored the Dobbs opinion and who has been hard at work for decades to overturn Roe, wrote that the majority doesn't think that there's a right to abortion in either privacy or liberty, since neither of those things is ever even mentioned in the Constitution. That's fact, by the way. Neither of those things is mentioned in the First Amendment. Alito said something that might be a surprise to folks along every presidential campaign trail, that abortion just is not and should never be a federal issue. Alito said that abortion is something for elected representatives at the state level to handle, and that the varied views people have on abortion is exactly the reason why it makes sense to have different laws in different places. Sidebar, on one hand, that's true. People in different regions of the country do have wildly different views on abortion. But on the other hand, the same once have been said for Jim Crow laws, which is exactly why the Supreme Court stepped in and said that while laws can be different, there are some minimum standards we expect all states to meet. So where does this all leave us? Well, let's start with abortion. States can now make essentially whatever abortion laws they wish. Abortion gets no special treatment, and states only have to follow the regular rules that apply to all the other laws, meaning they can't do stuff like ex post facto laws, and they have to make sure that their laws apply equally to all races and stuff like that. But apart from those kind of restrictions, everything else is fair game. Now, how about other stuff? The stuff that's not about abortion. Does Dobbs have any impact on that? Well, the short answer is not yet, but it certainly could. Dobbs didn't say that the right to privacy and liberty don't exist, just that if they do exist, abortion doesn't fall under them. But a ruling like Dobbs does call into question the fate of other things that we considered privacy, such as contraception and same-sex intimacy. It doesn't overtly threaten same-sex marriage, by the way, because that wasn't decided as part of privacy. However, at least one justice, looking at you, Clarence Thomas, said that he thinks we should rethink that one too, but on other grounds. Many states already had trigger laws on their books, which went into effect the minute Roe v. Wade was overturned. Those laws do everything from banning abortion outright to banning it after a few weeks of pregnancy to even criminalizing it. The bottom line is, in some ways, abortion isn't so much a women's issue as it is a government issue. 
We all live in this country, and we're all entitled to an informed opinion about the level of intrusiveness our government can and should have into our personal lives. It is absolutely true that abortion is health care and that banning abortions will have negative health consequences for many, many people. At the heart of Dobbs, and the reason why it's important, is that our Supreme Court had no trouble overruling an important precedent on which millions of Americans have relied on for generations. The court was happy to completely rethink the right to privacy, a right that we all expect to exist even when we're not following the news tickers on an hourly basis. So what can we do? Most importantly, we can stay informed, speak up, and vote. The right to not just reproductive freedom, but to many other freedoms, lies in the hands of our local, state-level elected officials. Look up the abortion laws in your state. Research what changes to the laws might be lurking in the state house legislative committees. Look up the abortion laws in your state. Find out who your representatives are. Research what changes to those laws might be lurking in state house legislative committees. And find out who's running for office and on what platform. The more you speak up, the more your voice will be heard. A phone call or an email to your local representative will let that person know what you think the law should be. And after all, that's the entire point of democracy, for our legislators to create laws that reflect the values that we as a society hold dear. As I've said before, the lesson of Dobbs is that if you're not seated at the table, you will be on the menu. That goes not just for women, but for everyone. <laughs> 